Welcome! You're listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Hi, I'm Mike Paul, and welcome to this podcast of articles from Ars Technica, a presentation of Airs LA. We have five articles for you today. We'll hear about how Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, plans to improve the product. Unpack Netflix's new advertising-based tier. Discover how some iPhone apps still track you without knowing. Find out about Best Buy's new recycling program. And see how rocket reusability is enabling SpaceX to send astronauts into orbit for the second time in one month. But first, the big story. Elon Musk buys Twitter. Our first article is by John Brodkin, published on April 25th, 2022. It's happening. Elon Musk strikes deal to buy Twitter for $44 billion. Twitter's board of directors has agreed to sell the company to Elon Musk for $44 billion, the company announced Monday. Free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated, Musk said in the purchase announcement. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. The deal, pending shareholder approval and expected to close later this year, comes just 10 days after the Twitter board approved a poison pill to prevent a hostile takeover in response to Musk's attempt to buy the company. Board members started taking Musk's offer more seriously after he lined up $46.5 billion in financing. The sale agreement was announced hours after reports that a deal between Twitter and Musk was close. The deal is a definitive agreement to be acquired by an entity wholly owned by Elon Musk for $54.20 per share in cash, a transaction valued at approximately $44 billion, the announcement said. Upon completion of the transaction, Twitter will become a privately held company. Twitter's stock price was up 5.7% today. Twitter board chairman Brett Taylor said, The Twitter board conducted a thoughtful and comprehensive process to assess Elon's proposal with a delicate focus on value, certainty, and financing. The proposed transaction would deliver a substantial cash premium, and we believe it is the best path forward for Twitter's stockholders. If the purchase is completed, Twitter stockholders will receive $54.20 in cash for each share of Twitter common stock they own, a 38% premium to Twitter's closing stock price on April 1, 2022, which was the last trading day before Mr. Musk disclosed his approximately 9% stake in Twitter, the announcement said. The sale to Musk was unanimously approved by the Twitter board and is expected to close in 2022, subject to the approval of Twitter's stockholders, the receipt of applicable regulatory approvals, and the satisfaction of other customary closing conditions, the announcement said. 
Musk previously secured $25.5 billion of debt and margin loan financing and committed to provide $21 billion in equity. I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter, because that is what free speech means, Musk wrote in a tweet Monday. Musk, who has said that Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company to protect free speech, last year asked a college student to take down a Twitter account that tracks the movements of his private jet. Musk recently purchased 9.2% of Twitter's stock and agreed to join Twitter's board. He then backed out of the board seat deal, which would have prohibited him from buying more than 14.9% of the company's stock, and offered to buy Twitter instead. Twitter directors initially seemed ready to fight Musk's takeover attempt and unanimously approved the poison pill that makes it difficult to buy more than 15% of the company's stock in any transaction not approved by the board. The poison pill, of course, did not prevent the board from striking a deal with Musk in direct negotiations. Our second article is by John Brodkin, published on April 20th, 2022. Netflix stock plummets 37% as CEO says company plans ad-supported tier. Netflix plans to launch a lower-priced subscription tier with ads, CEO Reed Hastings said Tuesday in an interview to discuss first quarter earnings. Netflix growth is slowing amid a loss in subscribers, and the company's stock price was down about 37% Wednesday as of this writing. Hastings said that an ad-supported tier is something we're trying to figure out over the next year or two, and that Netflix is quite open to offering even lower prices with advertising as a consumer choice. Those who follow Netflix know I've been against the complexity of advertising, and I'm a big fan of the simplicity of subscription, Hastings said. But as much as I'm a fan of that, I'm a bigger fan of consumer choice, and allowing consumers who would like to have a lower price and are advertising tolerant get what they want makes a lot of sense. When asked if Netflix will test an ad-supported plan in small markets before a global rollout, Hastings suggested he doesn't think that will be necessary. No, I think it's pretty clear that it's working for Hulu. Disney's doing it. HBO did it. I don't think we have a lot of doubt that it works. You know that all these companies have figured it out. I'm sure we'll just get in and figure it out as opposed to test it and maybe do it or not do it. When Netflix adopts ads, it would be a plan layer like it is at Hulu. So if you still want the ad-free option, you'll be able to have that as a consumer. And if you'd rather pay a lower price and you're ad-tolerant, we're going to cater to you also, Hastings said. Netflix prices in the U.S. currently range from $9.99 to $19.99 a month. Netflix last month said it will fight password sharing by charging an extra fee of about $3 to users who share accounts with people in other households, with the fee rolling out first in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. In addition to our 222 million paying households, we estimate that Netflix is being shared with over 100 million additional households, including over 30 million in the UCAN region, U.S. and Canada, Netflix said in its letter to shareholders Tuesday. 
The letter said that Netflix is planning more effective monetization of multi-household sharing. Netflix said that account sharing as a percentage of our paying membership hasn't changed much over the years, but it's becoming a bigger focus for the company as it struggles to grow its subscriber base. Hastings discussed plans to tackle account sharing without offering much detail. To quote, We're working on how to monetize sharing. We've been thinking about that for a couple of years, but when we were growing fast, it wasn't a high priority to work on, and now we're working super hard on it. Remember, these are over 100 million households that already are choosing to view Netflix. They love the service. We've just got to get paid at some degree for them. Hastings also said that ad-supported streaming is not a short-term fix for revenue and that it would take a couple of years for ad-supported subscriptions to reach a material volume in terms of earnings. Netflix would rely on third-party advertising services, Hastings said. In terms of the profit potential, definitely the online ad market has advanced, and now you don't have to incorporate all the information about people that you used to, so we can be a straight publisher and have other people do all the fancy ad matching and integrate all the data about people, he said. That means Netflix can stay out of that and really be focused on our members, creating that great experience and then getting monetized in a first-class way by a range of different companies who offer that service. Netflix's Q1 revenue was $7.87 billion, up 9.8% year over year. Netflix had grown revenue by 16 to 24% each quarter during 2021. Netflix projects year over year revenue growth of 9.7% in Q2 2022. Net income in Q1 2022 was $1.6 billion down from $1.71 billion in Q1 2021. Netflix's total subscribers dropped from $221.84 million to $221.64 million in the first quarter, and the company's forecasted another drop to $219.64 million in the second quarter. Netflix said it would have grown subscribers in the first quarter if not for its decision to pull out of Russia which reduced subscribers by 700,000. Despite the Russia pullout, investors had expected that the company would add new users in the quarter, the Wall Street Journal wrote. Netflix stock is down more than 60% this year, including Wednesday's fall and a previous drop of over 20% in January, the journal wrote. Netflix attributed some of its struggles to new competition, Competition for viewing with linear TV, as well as YouTube, Amazon, and Hulu, have been robust for the last 15 years, the shareholder letter said. However, over the last three years, as traditional entertainment companies realized streaming is the future, many new streaming services have also launched. Netflix also said that macro factors, including sluggish economic growth, Increasing inflation, geopolitical events such as Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and some continued disruption from COVID are likely having an impact as well. Hastings said he's confident that Netflix will overcome its current struggles. When we look at the last 20 years, we've gone through a lot of changes, and we've always figured them out one by one. It's super exciting, and we're going to figure this one out. 
We've got a great team. We lead by a significant margin in streaming, and streaming is continuing to grow around the world, he said. Our third article is by Dan Gooden, published on April 18th, 2022. Your iOS app may still be covertly tracking you, despite what Apple says. Last year, Apple enacted App Tracking Transparency, a mandatory policy that forbids app makers from tracking user activity across other apps without first receiving those users' explicit permission. Privacy advocates praised the initiative, and Facebook warned it would spell certain doom for companies that rely on targeted advertising. However, research published last week suggests that ATT, as it's usually abbreviated, doesn't always curb the surreptitious collection of personal data or the fingerprinting of users. At the heart of ATT is the requirement that users must click an Allow button that appears when an app is installed. It asks, Allow app name to track your activity across other companies' apps and websites? Without that consent, the app can't access the so-called IDFA, Identifier for Advertisers a unique identifier iOS or iPadOS assigns so they can track users across other installed apps. At the same time, Apple also started requiring app makers to provide privacy nutrition labels that declared the types of user and device data they collect and how that data is used. Last week's research paper said that while ATT in many ways works as intended, Loopholes in the framework also provided the opportunity for companies, particularly large ones like Google and Facebook, to work around the protections and stockpile even more data. The paper also warned that despite Apple's promise for more transparency, ATT might give many users a false sense of security. Overall, our observation suggests that while Apple's changes make tracking individual users more difficult, they motivate a counter-movement and reinforce existing market power of gatekeeper companies with access to large troves of first-party data, the researchers wrote. Making the privacy properties of apps transparent through large-scale analysis remains a difficult target for independent researchers and a key obstacle to meaningful, accountable, and verifiable privacy protections. The researchers also identified nine iOS apps that used server-side code to generate a mutual user identifier that a subsidiary of the Chinese tech company Alibaba can use for cross-app tracking. The sharing of device information for purposes of fingerprinting would be in violation of Apple's policies, which do not allow developers to derive data from a device for the purpose of uniquely identifying it, the researchers wrote. The researchers also said that Apple isn't required to follow the policy in many cases, making it possible for Apple to further add to the stockpile of data it collects. They noted that Apple also exempts tracking for purposes of obtaining information on a consumer's creditworthiness for the specific purpose of making a credit determination. Representatives from Apple declined to comment. Alibaba representatives didn't immediately respond to an email seeking comment. 
Based on a comparison of 1,685 apps published before and after ATT went into effect, the number of tracking libraries they used remained roughly the same. The most widely used libraries, including Apple's SK Ad Network, Google Firebase Analytics, and Google Crashlytics, didn't change. Almost a quarter of the studied apps claimed they didn't collect any user data, but the majority of them, 80%, contained at least one tracker library. On average, the research found, apps that claimed they didn't collect user data nonetheless contained 1.8 tracking libraries and contacted 2.5 tracking companies. Of apps that used SK Ad Network, Google Firebase Analytics, and Google Crashalytics, more than half failed to disclose having access to user data. The Facebook SDK fared slightly better with about a 47% failure rate. Not only do the discrepancies underscore the limitations of ATT, but they also reinforce the power of what the researchers called gatekeepers and the opacity of data collection in general. The researchers wrote, Our findings suggest that tracking companies, especially larger ones with access to large troves of first party, still track users behind the scenes. They can do this through a range of methods, including IP addresses to link installation-specific IDs across apps and through the sign-in functionality provided by individual apps, e.g. Google or Facebook sign-in or email address. Especially in combination with further user and device characteristics, which our data confirmed are still widely collected by tracking companies, it would be possible to analyze user behavior across apps and websites, i.e. fingerprinting and cohort tracking. A direct result of the ATT could, therefore, be that existing power imbalances in the digital tracking ecosystem get reinforced. We even found a real-world example of Yumeng, a subsidiary of the Chinese tech company Alibaba, using their server-side code to provide apps with a fingerprinting-derived cross-app identifier. The use of fingerprinting is in violation of Apple's policies, and raises questions around to what extent the company is able to enforce its policies. ATT might ultimately encourage a shift of tracking technologies behind the scenes, so that they are outside of Apple's reach. In other words, Apple's new rules might lead to even less transparency around tracking than we currently have, including for academic researchers. Despite its flaws, ATT remains useful. I can't think of any real benefits from allowing one app to track my usage of all other apps installed on my phone over months or years. The easiest way to enforce ATT is to access iOS settings, privacy, tracking, and turn off allow apps to request to track. People who want additional iOS privacy should uninstall any apps that are no longer needed or consider buying an app, such as the Guardian Firewall. Ultimately, though, tracking and device fingerprinting are likely here to stay in some form, even in Apple's walled garden.
Our fourth article is by Sharon Harding, published on April 21st, 2022. Best Buy will pick up your unwanted tech, appliances, and money. Best Buy announced on Wednesday a new Holloway recycling service for technology products and appliances. For $200, the company will come to your home and take away your unwanted TVs, PC monitors, kitchen appliances, and more. Best Buy's standalone Holloway service takes up to two large items, like all-in-one computers, TVs of various types, cooktops, and refrigerators. They also take an unlimited number of smaller pieces of tech and appliances, like laptops, hard drives, video game consoles, keyboards, calculators, and curling irons. But there are some things even Best Buy doesn't want, like your old 8-tracks, DVDs, Blu-rays, software, instruments, toasters, and waffle makers. You can see a full list of what Best Buy will and won't take here. And then it links to the Best Buy recycling site. Best Buy will give a 20% discount on the service to members of Best Buy Total Tech, which includes services like 24-7-365 Geek Squad access and free two-day shipping for $200 a year. While Best Buy will already get rid of your old TV and large appliance for $30 and some fitness equipment for $50 if you buy a replacement from them, the standalone Holloway service doesn't require any other purchase beyond the $160 to $200 fee. It also doesn't accept fitness equipment. Of course, there are cheaper ways to get rid of old tech and appliances. There are free tech and appliance recycling programs, including government-run ones, that let you drop off your products or leave them at the curb. Best Buy itself has a drop-off program that gives you gift cards in exchange for up to three recyclable tech and appliances per day. You could also donate products, assuming they're of any use still. But for people who have physical limitations, or no vehicle, or live in tall walk-up apartment buildings, hauling something like a rear-projection big-screen TV out the front door could be impossible. Now you can save yourself the backache and or trip and make space for your new OLED TV as well as your bank account. Our fifth article is by Eric Berger, published on April 27, 2022. SpaceX sends four astronauts into orbit for the second time in a month. On Monday afternoon, a Crew Dragon spacecraft named Endeavour splashed down in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of Florida. Now, less than two days later, SpaceX and NASA are preparing another Crew Dragon for launch. Monday's landing returned a crew of four private astronauts, whose 17-day space flight was sponsored by the private company Axiom Space. Since that vehicle's return, the manager of NASA's commercial crew program, Steve Stitch, said space agency and SpaceX engineers have been poring over the data on Dragon's performance during its return through the atmosphere. It was a very clean flight overall with really no major issues, Stitch said Tuesday morning during a press call with reporters. The team has looked through a lot of data and they've had a chance to review everything. They've looked at the thermal protection system, 
They've looked at a lot of the GNC guidance, navigation, and control data from the flight. Obviously, the parachutes were very clean this flight. The mains all deployed and went to full open, almost in unison, with no indication of any laggard this time, which was great. NASA officials were confident enough in Dragon's performance to clear a new Crew Dragon crew capsule, Freedom, for launch at 3.52 a.m. Eastern, 7.52 UTC, on Wednesday morning from Kennedy Space Center. This Crew 4 flight will carry Commander Kajil Lindgren, Pilot Bob Hines, and Mission Specialist Jessica Watkins, all NASA astronauts, as well as European Space Agency Mission Specialist Samantha Cristoforetti to the station. Weather at both the launch site and for the downrange abort zones looked fine. Five days after Freedom docks with the space station, the four members of the Crew-3 mission that launched in November will begin their journey back to Earth. This five-day handover will ensure a continued presence of NASA astronauts on the space station. The return of Crew-3 will mark the completion of SpaceX's sixth human spaceflight in less than two years. That's truly remarkable because all of this has been done through the pandemic, said Jessica Jensen, Vice President of Customer Operations and Integration at SpaceX on Tuesday morning. SpaceX now has a fleet of four Crew Dragon vehicles, Endeavor, Resilience, Endurance, and Freedom. Company officials have said that, for now, SpaceX does not intend to build any more Crew Dragons. On Monday, the company's director of human spaceflight programs, Benji Reed, said he thinks SpaceX can presently support as many as six human spaceflights per year. This is a likely breakdown of those missions. Two NASA flights to the International Space Station, until Boeing's Starliner vehicle becomes operational, and then this number would be one, Two private astronaut missions to the International Space Station, backed by Axiom Space or other private companies. And two free-flying missions, such as the Inspiration4 and Polaris flights. Jensen said SpaceX is determined to continue flying humans into space safely, despite the rapid turnaround. As exciting as this is, and as busy as everyone has been talking about, I just want to reiterate that safety is still and always the top priority, she said. The launch was broadcast as a webcast, which began at midnight Eastern Time, or 4 o'clock UTC, on Wednesday. And that's it. That's the end of today's articles. To learn more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us at facebook.com slash A-I-R-S-L-A. If you like what's there, please hit the like button. Music provided by Hotfire. I'm Mike Paul, and I'll be back soon with more great articles from Ars Technica. Thanks for listening.